Teacher, we have spent the past six weeks asking questions. We have turned over every rock. We have shined a light in every dusty corner. We have opened the blinds. We have wrestled with truth. We have sought after you. So on this Easter morning, bring wisdom to our seeking. Move through this room until the walls echo with the sound of hallelujahs. Roll back the stones that might prevent us from drawing closer to you. Calm our hearts. Say our names. Awaken us to your presence in our midst. We are here. We are listening. We are seeking after you. Alleluia. Amen. Our first reading today comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is the good news we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved. Thanks be to God.
Our gospel reading for this Easter Sunday comes to us from John chapter 20, the first 18 verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood outside weeping outside of the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. God, unlimited by mortal fear, or tomb's cold grip. In the lingering dark, give us grace to know your life triumphant, your love undimmed. In the face of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. Amen. I remember telling Susan that I thought that God was bringing me through this season of grief so that when it was over, there would be more space in my heart for other people's grief. Susan was my supervisor during my chaplaincy at Children's Hospital, but she was more than just that. She was my teacher uh, and my de facto therapist. Uh, We had these weekly one-on-ones, and I'd spend my time, I don't know what everybody else did, but I spent my time with her just pouring out my life's grief, past, present, And I came to this point, I I thought what I said was really spiritual. I said, you know, I think God is bringing me through this specific season of grief so that 
there might be more room in my heart for other people's grief. It sounded so wise and mature to me when I said it, and I was ready for her just to affirm me and say, wow, you really get it, don't you? But she wasn't impressed at all and shook her head and said, uh, maybe God's bringing you through this season of grief simply because God loves you. That's it. See, grieving is God's gift to us. It's a gift that God gives us that we might live into the fullness of our humanity. It is not a means to an end. Uh, Being human, that's purpose enough. Love is reason enough. So once again, my teacher showed me the way. Over these past six weeks in Lent, we have been seeking God through a series of questions. Is this the fast I choose? Who will you listen to? How do we begin again? Will you give me a drink? Who sinned? Can these bones live? Where are you headed? Will you wash my feet? Why have you forsaken me? Uh, These have all been rich questions, and we said up front that living with the questions was more important than finding an answer. In his letters to a young poet, Rainer Maria Rilke writes, Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Well, on this Easter, our question is, who are you looking for? And it is a question worth living with. See, who we are looking for determines who we see. Because our expectations shape our reality more than reality shapes our expectations. That was true on the first Easter, and it's true today as well. So John tells us that very early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. And everything in the Gospels, all of it is dripping with symbolic meaning and and double meanings, but John's Gospel takes that and brings it to a whole other level. He turns it up to 11. You may recall that uh, John opens with the line, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, which is a reference to a call back to the opening line of Genesis in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see, John's gospel isn't meant to be read as a literal historic account of what happened any more than Genesis is meant to be read as a science book. Both are poetic accounts telling us what kind of world we live in and who made it. They don't answer questions of, of, of uh, of how or or when, they answer questions of why and who. And so when Mary comes to the tomb while it's still dark on the first day of the week, John is inviting us to understand the resurrection as the dawn of new creation. Because on the first day of the week in Genesis, God creates light. And now here we are on the first day of the new creation and God is bringing new light into our dark world. But Mary arrives early. The new creation has already begun. Christ has already risen from the dead, but she can't see it yet. And so when she sees the tomb empty, she logically concludes someone must have taken away his body, which makes sense, right? What else would you conclude? 
And so she runs to tell Peter and the beloved disciple what she saw, and they all go back to the tomb, and they see that it's empty, and Peter and the beloved disciple, they, they see it, and, and they leave. John tells us they didn't yet understand that he must be risen from the dead. They can't make any sense out of what they see, and so they leave. But Mary stays. She stays, and she weeps. And the word for weep here, it's more than just shedding a tear. It's more than crying. This is lament. Mary is giving voice to her deep grief, which is one of the bravest, most human things that we can ever do. Mary's hope died with Jesus. And when your hope dies, the best thing we can do is to weep and to lament. And in the darkness of the garden tomb, Mary releases a river of tears. She doesn't minimize her pain. She doesn't intellectualize it. She feels it. And though she doesn't know it yet, this is the path to resurrection. See, when tragedy strikes, the only way that we can possibly find a new beginning and the light of a new day is to lean into the darkness. And as always, Jesus shows us the way. Earlier in John's Gospel, when Mary's brother Lazarus had died, we hear the shortest verse in all of Scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. And it's only after Jesus releases his own deep grief that was in his heart that Lazarus rose from the dead. And now Mary, following the lead of her teacher, does the same. And as she does, she takes a second look at the tomb. Only this time, she sees two angels standing there. Now, why hadn't she seen them before? Why didn't Peter see them or the other disciple? Well, they only brought their reason. And reason, while a wonderful tool, isn't enough if we're to be fully human. Blaise Pascal famously said, The heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. It is the heart which experiences God, not the reason. Well, Mary brings her whole self to the empty tomb that day, not just her reason, but also her broken heart, and in doing so, a new world begins to emerge right before her eyes. She sees the two angels standing where Jesus' body had been, which is a reference to the Holy of Holies in the temple. So when we open our hearts to the fullness of our grief, we are standing on holy ground. When she turns and sees the risen Jesus, she doesn't recognize him yet. Resurrection doesn't happen all at once. It's not a light switch. The new creation gradually dawns on us when we bring our whole selves to grieve. And so Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? There's our question. On the far side of your grief, Who are you looking for? If you're looking for answers as to why this happened, I don't think you're going to find them. If you're looking for something to take your pain away, you're not going to find that either. But if you're looking for someone to be with you in your grief, well, then there's hope. When our world falls apart, we don't need answers. 
We don't need something to take the pain away. What we need is someone who will be present with us in our grief, who can bear our sorrow with us so we don't have to face it alone. So let me ask you again, who are you looking for? Now, as a pastor, I suppose that I'm supposed to say, you know, you really should be looking for Jesus. But I know that that's not the answer for everyone. And that's okay. Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself is as the Son of Man, or perhaps better translated, the human one. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, it embodies the fullness of humanity and the way that we experience Christ today. Well, that's in the fullness of our humanity as well. So who are you looking for? If you're looking for the fullness of your humanity, then that means embracing your own grief, your own life's lament, and sharing it with a trusted person in your life. Because none of us do it alone. We need each other. And the hope of the resurrection dawns when we find the courage to bring our whole selves to one another, not just our reason, but also our hearts. For it is the heart that experiences God. And Mary finally recognizes Jesus when he speaks her name. Mary, he says, a name which, by the way, means bitter tears. She turns to him and says, Rabboni, which means my teacher. It's now on the far side of her grief that a new day finally dawns for Mary. Her teacher, though he had died, was with her once again in a new way. Things are never the same after death. But life goes on. Love goes on. And those who died, whom we love, they are still with us, though in a new way. My friends, the darkness will not last forever. A new day will dawn. You may not see it yet, but it's already here. Susan was my teacher, and she was right about grief. That God invites you to grieve for no other reason than the fact that God loves you. It's not a means to an end. It is a gift of love that enables us to experience the fullness of our humanity And when we find the courage to go through it, a new day will dawn. And so whatever griefs and laments you bring here today, I can assure you this, that you are loved with an everlasting love. And whoever you're looking for, God is looking for you, eager to share a whole new world with you, a world where death has its place but does not have the final say. Love has the final say, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you.